for tuning in to this Hillside Talk. These talks are recorded live at our Hillside gatherings here in Las Vegas. We hope you enjoy this month's talk. How many of you guys have ever heard of someone breaking up with someone and then saying that it was God's will? How many of you guys have ever heard of someone like that? It's a, it's a thing. How many of you that has happened to you before? How many of you? My hands up. My hands up. People, it's happened. How many of you have ever done? No, don't tell me. Don't tell me. I don't want to. I don't want to. People have some strange views about God's will, and sometimes it's pretty fun to joke about. Um, but when it actually comes down to finding out God's will for our lives about the really serious things, it's not always as fun. And as young adults in this room, we have some huge decisions to make. Choosing a college, whether you're going to go to college or not. Choosing a career, choosing a spouse. Five guys or in and out. Is God speaking? Right? I, think I, I think I hear him. These are tough decisions. And as Christians, as Christians, it gets even more complicated. Because not only do we have to figure out what we want... But then we have to figure out what God wants for us as well. Who does, where does God want me to go to college? Where does, what does God want for my life? Who does God want me to marry? Does God want me to go to In-N-Out tonight, right after this event? I'm looking at my wife. Yes, she says yes. Okay, good. God has, God has spoken here. Word from the Lord. And these are tough things. Does God even care about these things? Does God have a set plan for all these decisions? And if so, how do I know which is God's will? So for the next 20 minutes or so, I want to kind of set the stage. I want to set the table here for the discussion. And I want to address some presuppositions that sometimes we have about God's will. And then we'll dive into those more specific questions uh, that you guys have. So quickly, I want to share with you four truths about God's will for your life. Truth number one, God's will is not for your life. It's your life for God's will. I'm going to say that again. Thank you, Skyler. I'm going to say that again. God's will is not for your life. It's your life for God's will. I believe the greatest problem Christians have when facing this uh, question is that we're asking the wrong question. We're, we're, many Christians have this blueprint for our life already mapped out and then we try to figure out, well, what, is, what does God want for me? And we see that, that timeline or blueprint. I always imagine that some like, line above my head. And, and we, we picture our lives and we picture our futures. And then we try to find out what God wants and we try to see where it fits into that plan. And instead of asking, where does God fit into my plans? We ought to ask, what is God's plan? And where, how does my life fit into that? Matthew 10, 39, Jesus says this, he who finds his life, will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake, Jesus said, will find it. You see, in order to discover God's will for your life, you first must surrender your will to his will. Romans 12 speaks of this. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, I beseech you, I beg you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And he says, and don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
What's he saying here? He's saying you want to know God's will. You want to know what God has for you. You got to give your life to God. You got, it says give your body to him. You got to give your mind to him, your heart to him, your desires, your wills. You got to give it your entire life to him. And you must do this every day for the rest of your life. Now, some of you are like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. That's like intense. Slow down. I don't even know if I want what God wants for me yet. Uh, how do I find that part out first? And then where, where do we go from here? Okay, so point number one is God's will is not for my life. It's my life for God's will. Number two, God's will is not a mystery. It's in writing. So many of us, when we have this picture of God's will, we see it as some like mysterious, far-off thing that we're always grasping for, but we can never quite get. I don't know why whenever I picture God's will in my head, I always imagine it with a question mark. And it's always in this really weird font, and it's purple with a black backdrop. That's just how I see it. I don't know, I don't know if that's just me. And, and it always has like three question marks next to it. It's in this like italics. It's like God's will. It's, it's this really weird far off thing. And many young adults have this view of God's will. But the answer is literally right in front of us. See, God's will is not hidden from us. It's been fully revealed and preserved in plain language. You see, everything God wants, and, and catch this, guys, catch this. Everything God wants you to know about him right now, he's revealed to you. Say, so how do you know that? Because it says it right here in the scriptures. Why do, why do at church, why do, why do Christians and, and church people emphasize the scriptures so much? We're always talking about the Bible. It's because the Bible is God's love letter for the human race, explaining the true purpose for our existence, revealing God's heart for us, including what he wants for us and doesn't want for us. In 2 Timothy 3.16, the Bible speaks about itself. It says all scripture is given uh, by inspiration or it's been breathed out by God. And it's profitable. It's good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And what an awesome gift that is that God has given to us that sits on our shelf a lot. What an awesome gift, but what a big responsibility that is. In fact, that's why the, the same author in the same book that from the verse I just read, he writes in the chapter right before this, he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. How do you do that? He says, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. See, God has in plain words told you the purpose for which you were created and how to fulfill that purpose, which means we, we ought to learn his word. See, God's will for your life is not a mystery. God is far more eager to show you his will for your life, then you will ever be to seek it. God wants us to know him. He wants us to know his will, and he's demonstrated that by making it so clear in the scriptures. You say, okay, Matt, I I get what you're saying, uh, but I'm not talking about God's general will for all people. Uh, I want to know what's God's specific will for me. What does God want for my life? It's okay, okay. 
So number one, God's will is not for my life. It's my life for God's will. Number two, God's will is not a mystery. It's in writing. And then number three, God's will for my life is not determined. It's freedom. Okay, okay, I, I get what you're saying. God's word reveals God's will. So where does it say in the Bible who I'm supposed to, to marry? Because I read this thing, and it's not in there. I don't see the name. I, I saw a lot of names, and it really better not be Habakkuk, because if his name's Habakkuk, then I don't want to marry him. And I know some of you are thinking that. I don't see a name in there I like. Here's the answer. The Bible doesn't have the name of the person you're going to marry or what college to go to. Or... So you're saying God doesn't have a plan for my life? Oh, he does. What I'm saying is that he doesn't have some special plan mapped out for you that you got to try to figure out. Now, now, he has for some people in the past... And I'm not saying it's impossible for God to do this, but chances are it's just not the case for you. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Well, we see people in the Bible, you know, like John the Baptist, Jeremiah, who it says of them that even when they were in the womb, God had called them for this specific plan. And I would say, yeah, God did have a specific plan for them. The problem is we see all these situations in the Bible and we go, yeah, that's how God's, God works, but those are specific. Those cases aren't the norm. For every situation like that we read in the Bible, there's 200 cases where God didn't have a specific plan for somebody. I could be wrong about this, and not every pastor would agree with me. But I, I really believe there isn't any scriptural basis uh, to believe that God has a specific plan written out for us that we have to find. In fact, if we want to be biblical about this, um, we can be biblical Based on scripture, here's how you know if, um, if, if God is, has a specific plan for your life. Ready? Number one, if you are a virgin and you get pregnant. Number two, if your donkey talks to you. Number three, if an angel wants to wrestle with you. If any of this happens to you, God is definitely at work. No doubt. He also wants you to see a counselor. So if tonight you come afterwards and tell me, uh, Matt, 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 brother, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, and I feel called by God to go to Alaska. Because in Alaska, there are many moose that are being beaten and abused and God is calling me to Alaska to rescue them, amen. I'd be really, really happy for you. And I'd probably pray with you and say a lot of real spiritual words after that. But I wouldn't believe you. <laughs> Why? Now, now, now. God certainly has made you unique. And he's given to each of you gifts. And he's given to each of you a unique personality. He's given you each unique experiences. Why? Because he wants you to use those things in a unique way to fulfill the purpose he created you for. And though the experience of you fulfilling God's will in your life will definitely look different than anyone else's experience, 
His will for each of us is the same. It's to bring him glory through all we do. To make God's name look great with what we do. But how we do that, within the guidelines given in his word, revealed to us in scripture, it's up to us. So while God doesn't tell us the name, exact name of the person you should marry, he does give us guidelines of how he wants us to pursue a spouse. You say, how do you know that? Well, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, it says, for this is the will of God. It says that in the Bible. Yes, it tells you. It tells you. Are you ready for her name? Are you ready for his name? It doesn't say, it doesn't say a name. I'm sorry. Got your hopes up, some of you. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, that you keep away from sexual immorality, and that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. You see, God's calling for you isn't a calling to a specific spouse. It's a calling to holiness. God's will is not a specific calling for you for a specific vocation. It's a call to make God look good in whatever you do. As it says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all to God's glory. See, it's not likely that God has a specific plan for you to either be poor or specifically rich. It could be, we, but we don't really know that. But what we do know is that whatever situation you find is, the Bible says, to be content. And we do know from Scripture that whatever situation you're in, that God wants us to be completely and utterly dependent on him. You see, God isn't as concerned about the destination. God's will is more concerned as about who you become through the journey. Does that mean that God ultimately doesn't care what I do? No, 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 no. He deeply cares what you do. What it means is that in God's sovereign plan, God has given to us the freedom to choose how we will serve and glorify him through our, through our lives. And like a good father, God, our spiritual father, he's not a control freak over our lives. Rather, he helps us to discover what is good, what is right, what is pure, what is worthy to pursue. He teaches us morality. He teaches us ethics, but has also given to us a heart filled with desire and longing. And it's as though God has put before us a giant blank canvas and then has given to us a box of crayons and tells us to dream. God's will is not for my life. It's my life for God's will. we got to get that down first. And secondly, God's will is not a mystery. It's been revealed to us through scriptures. God's will for my life is not determined. It's not some written out plan that we're trying to desperately figure out and we can't just grasp it. No, he's given to us freedom in his sovereign plan. And lastly, God's will is not undesirable. It's unrivaled. Some of you are thinking, Matt, okay, man, that first point was pretty strong. Like, you were talking about giving up my entire life to God and laying my body down before him. That sounds miserable. 
You're, you're asking me to, to, to give up everything I have and, to, and to, to lose who I am and to lose all my hopes and all my dreams and all my desires if, if I follow Jesus? Well, yes and no. You see, it's, it, God doesn't ask you to, well, he asks you to surrender all you are to him. He doesn't ask you to lose uh, everything in your life, to lose your, your uniqueness as a person. God's not asking you to fill a mold. What instead, God's surrendering to God's will for your life means discovering who God truly created you to be. Not filling a mold, figuring out who your creator intended you to be. Psalm 37, 4, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says this. It says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? It means if you put your desires and you set them on what God wants, and you say, whatever God wants for me, that's what I'm going to seek after. That's what I'm going to like. God doesn't like that. I read that in the Word. I'm not going to like that anymore. You set your desires on God. What does it say? It says he will give you the desires of your heart. What that means is when you set your desires on God, God will give you what you want. So where your will and God's will are no longer two separate things, they're now one. They don't, they're, not, they're not separate. You don't have to question, am I, doing, am I doing God's will? Am I in God's will? They're one thing now. You see, when you follow Jesus in faith and seek to do his will, things that may seem weird to you now won't seem weird anymore. In fact, you might like him. Someone actually in this room right now who's going through my growth track with me, uh, she told me last week, she said, she said Matt, so I'm not going to lie. She said, I've always hated Christian music. I always just thought it was weird. I didn't hate it. I just thought it was weird. <laughs> I laughed. And, and she said, but you know, lately as we've been studying and, and growing and I've been reading more of the word, she said, I started to get, kind of get into it. I was listening to it the other day and, and we started talking. I started recommending uh, groups to her and songs. See, when you set your desire on Jesus, those sinful desires that you think are so desperately a part of your identity, that, that you, can, you can't even imagine giving them up because they're such a part of you may no longer seem as appealing to you anymore. Desires and gifts which God has placed in you and he's placed in you for a reason, for a purpose, for his kingdom's sakes that maybe before you didn't quite know what to do with it. Or maybe you were using it for the wrong reason. Finally, that desire can have its fulfillment in the actual reason that the Creator gave it to you. Proverbs 3, 5-6. through 6, God tells us, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He will direct your paths. My friends, if you do this, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, you will find that following God's will for your life is completely unrivaled in comparison to anything else. 
we're ready for some questions and answers. So Pastor Josh is going to come on up here. And um, we're going to get the tables, the chairs. I'm going to move this aside. Some of you guys are like, okay, Matt, you didn't even talk about what I thought you were going to talk about. You didn't answer anything. All right, now is your time. Ask those questions. I was just setting the stage, and it's time to hear some specific question answers. You got All a right. microphone. Good. Yeah, I think it's, is it on? Is it on? Is it on? Is it on? There it is. Matt Elin, ladies and gentlemen, give him a round of applause. That's... My man, I used to think I had good hair until I met Matt Elin, and his hair has far surpassed mine, but mine is quickly, quickly turning silver. What's that? He also has a beard. Oh. That beard is, Matt, how did you grow that beard? I've I'm been getting, trying. I'm getting embarrassed, Pastor Josh. Let's just. I, have, <sighs> I haven't shaved in seven weeks. Seven weeks, this is all I get, but I'm working Mountain on it. Man. That's not true. I don't want to talk about it. How's everybody doing tonight? It's good to know you're here. Let's talk about God's will. So that was a great lesson. I agreed with almost everything you said. Almost. Yeah. I want to hear the, the not almost. You could ask questions too. I mean, No, I am going to ask questions. I, we're, going to, we're going to talk through. One of the cool things about um, studying the scripture is that um, a lot of times as you study the scripture, there are a lot of different ways you can view certain passages and few, few, uh, certain concepts. Um, and uh, then you discuss them in small groups or in large groups like this or in the scripture uh, or in, in church services. So maybe you have questions based on what was talked about that Matt and I might be able to answer. Uh, but Matt, I thought, did an incredible job presenting the concept of the will of God. So anybody have uh, some questions, we'll just jump to you in relation specifically to this lesson, and then we'll jump from there. I got one. Yeah. Okay, so I have a few questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, one, is... at a t one at a time. Okay, yeah. <laughs> What is uh, God's sovereign plan? Because you said that, um, you know, we all had to fill, or we had to find out what we were made to be, but it was all in some sovereign plan. So what would you say that is? God's sovereign plan? Yeah, good. Okay, so, man, there's so much I wish I could have filled into my talk, and that's why I love doing this Q&A question, because I'm like, oh, I wish I could have even answered that in the talk part. Um, God's plan for us. So I kept mentioning God has revealed his will in the scriptures, and I didn't really say what it was. I, I said glorify him. Um, this isn't original to me. I hope this answers your question, but quickly, um, this is from uh, David Platt's book, Radical, and I love this. In fact, I have based my, life, my life's mission statement off of this. I believe God created us for, for two purposes. Number one, and, and I get this from Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Um, I figured if you want to know what we were created for, we should look at when we were created. And so Genesis 1, 26, it says, God made us in his image. And so I think our first purpose is to extend his image. That means whatever we do, whatever we say, every, everything, we are reflecting God to all of creation. So I believe that's our first purpose, to extend his image. Now, now because of Genesis 3 and sin entering the world, we mar his image, right? And so now through Jesus Christ, if you know the gospel, now through Jesus Christ, we can fulfill that purpose again. That's why 1 Corinthians 5.20 says, now we are ambassadors for Christ, um, that God recon has reconciled us to him, and now we have the ministry of reconciling others to Christ. And it's a beautiful, beautiful um, um, thought. And secondly, I believe, we see in verse uh, 28, it says, and God blessed them, and he 
gave to them, paraphrasing, he basically made them Adam and Eve queens and, and kings on earth. He gave them all of creation to subdue, to own, uh, to, to take care of. And, um, and it said he, he blessed them. He told them to go multiply. God's first command for, for man and woman, his first command for all of humanity was to go have sex. That's a pretty good command. It's a pretty easy life, right? He said he, said he blessed them. That's what it is. That's what it is. And so, I mean, it was his first command. Amen. Amen. And, um, and so God's, God, so, so here's our second purpose, I believe, to enjoy his gifts, to enjoy what he's given to us. And so um, how do we do that? Well, we, it, it's us having a proper relationship with all of creation. So it, you could say, well, we, we thank him for what he's given to us. That's, that's super huge. That's important. Uh, we don't abuse what he's given to us. That's what sin is. Evil is when we take what God has given to us that's good and we twist it for an alternate purpose than what it was made for. We twist it for our own um, wrong intentions um, apart from its creation, created uh, means. And so, again, through Christ, without Christ, with sin in our lives, we, we can't enjoy his creation. We can't enjoy his gifts. But through Christ, we can now, first of all and foremost, enjoy a proper relationship with him. And that's, that's the first and foremost gift that Adam and Eve walking in the garden with him, enjoying the presence of their creator. And then second of all, have a right relationship with, with others, enjoying his gifts. That, that's what I believe. Um, that's one way of putting what, what God created us for and our purpose. So, so me, I wrote my life mission statement through glorifying God by extending his image and enjoying his gifts. And, and everything else I do in life, I, I take it back to that. And man, am I fulfilling that purpose uh, for which he created us? So. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic answer. I, I love how Matt premised the entire conversation by not dis discussing um, uh, how can God bless my plans for my life, but how can I get in on God's plan for the universe? See, I don't think it's about how God can bless my life story. It's about can I get in on God's big story? So God has a story that he's playing out. It's the story of redemption. When you were born, you happened to be born into the middle of an epic eternal battle between good and evil. You're just one of the players who happens to be born into it. And now we have the opportunity of choice to jump in and depending on what you choose, what side you fall on. I also love the idea that um, the premise of the will of God needs to begin with the premise of the will of God for all humanity. As was stated, the premise of the will of God for all humanity is to extend the image of God by reconciling people to God through the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. And then secondarily, like you said, enjoy the creation that God has given us without perverting the gifts that God has given us. I think all of that is beautifully said. That's the essence of God's sovereign will for all mankind. Very well stated. Good question. Okay, but um, why would it, why is there a purpose at all? Like why would he even bother, you know? Specify, clarify what you mean by like, why, why would does the God creator care? create something? Oh, okay, good question. Why does the creator create something? Yeah, like why does life exist at all? Very good question. I would say the same reason why an artist paints. If you were to ask an artist, why do you paint? They would say, because I like to paint. And then they would say, but, but why do you put a paintbrush in paint and put it on a canvas? They would say, because I'm an artist. Artists paint because they're artists. Musicians create music because they're musicians. Public speakers speak because they, they, are, they are gifted at speaking, and God creates because he's a creator. It's part of his essence, his being. It's part of the core of who he is as a person. 
The same reason an artist would paint an image of a sunset is the same reason God created the sunset in the first place, and that is because it is in his essence and nature to create. Good question. That's a good, that's a great answer. And I would also say, God, in Genesis 131, God created and he saw that it was good. And so we can't understand, uh, and um, we, we can't understand completely in our human minds why, we, we can't understand why is it good to create, that God created rather than not good or bad or whatever. But we do know from revealed in the scripture that God created why? Because it was better than not creating. In, in God's mind, and that's, and that's not something we can really answer. He enjoys doing it. I really do think he's much more relatable to us than we realize. I think whatever it is that you do, that you're like, I do it because it's what I do. I love doing that. Um, it's because that's who you are. It's your passion. And I think it's okay to understand the supreme being as relatable in that he has a passion, and his passion is to create. So going, okay, going off of that, um, you said that God purposely chose some people. Um, what makes them so special compared to me, you know? Well, this is where, this is a great point that you bring up. Matt brought up in the Bible, God specifically chose some specific people with wills and plans and purposes. This is where you'll see two men of God, and just like you're men of God and women of God, two Christians disagree in how we might state something. So Matt would say God, God does not have a specific will or plan or purpose maybe for your life in every instance, um, that there's general will of God for everyone, and that is to glorify God and to bring people to him, but there's not a specific plan or purpose for your specific life as was expressed and, and well expressed. I would come from a different point of view. I, we would disagree, to be clear. We would disagree on that point. I would say that there is no difference between you and the Virgin Mary. You say, What? There is no difference between you and the Virgin Mary in that God had a specific plan for her life and God has a specific plan for your life. And so I do believe in a very specific, unique plan for an individual. So to answer your question, Matt might have to answer your question to see his thoughts on that, but then I'll jump back and express why I might see that a little different in the Word of God than my brother here does. Yeah, because um, isn't saying that kind of like an excuse for not becoming your best version of yourself? just to assume that you aren't chosen? Good question, great question. Yeah, so. Because if you were to glorify God in the way that he deserves, wouldn't that mean that you are supposed to become the best version of yourself and influence the most amount of people? Yeah, I think to answer that question in particular, I would say um, that you would have to ask that question in both scenarios. So whether or not God has some exact specific plan and you're just trying to grasp and, and find, figure that out, that, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm finding against. I'm saying there isn't some exact thing and we're just trying to figure out what that is. What I'm saying is that there's, that's why I use the word freedom. And so, um, yeah, and so, and so your question was, what, what was the last question that you stated again? So, I mean, I feel like the purpose of life can be whatever you choose it to be. Oh, good, good. But um, your perfect purpose will align with God when you are becoming your best version of yourself? Yeah, so um, I would say it's not um, just to, to pick on the, the language you use. You, sure. You're mentioning the best version of yourself. Um, it, I'm not saying that it's random or it's arbitrary, God's, God's will for you. Well, just, just pick something, anything, and it's good. No, 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 no. Like, that is absolutely not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is um, 
he has revealed, he's given, like I said, he gave us guidelines. He, he's revealed, I, I'm trying to emphasize this, mm-hmm. what he's given to us here, and, and um, guard against subjectivity. So to where anyone can just say, uh, that's why I gave that example about going to Alaska and whatever. And that, that, I'm saying, I'm letting you know, I, I, even though I was joking, being facetious, that really could be the case, okay? God can speak to anyone. He has. He's shown it in the scriptures. Um, but how are we to know that? Here, here's, what, here's, why, here's where this, this comes from in my heart. We tend to put words in God's mouth a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and, and we, instead of seeking his will for us through the scripture and and dissecting the scripture and looking at God's plan for us, we tend to put this on the shelf and start to, and, and, and ignore it and then think, well, what do I want? And then I'll call it what God wants. Yeah. And that brings up a really good point. One of the things that does play, take place in modern Christianity quite a bit is a de-emphasis of the word of God and an emphasis upon subjective feeling. So I feel, therefore, it must be the case. And so there needs to be an emphasis for every Christian upon, okay, first of all and foremost, what does the Bible say I must be? Um, I like the way one of my friends who's a minister says it. He says, if you want to know the will of God, be thoroughly right with God and then do whatever you want. If you're thoroughly right with God in every aspect of what you already know and what he's revealed to you, then there's a plethora, <laughs> I like that word, a plethora of choices that you can choose to make. Now, just because I said there are a plethora of choices and directions you can go, you say, well, Josh, if you believe in a specific will for your life from God, what if you make the wrong choice? And that's where I believe in what's called, what I call the incredible um, power of God to course correct. Let me say that again. The incredible power of God to course correct. This is never better illustrated than in the life of a man who got swallowed by a fish. Here's Jonah. God had a plan for Jonah's life, and it was to go to Nineveh, and Jonah said, no, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm going to do my own thing. And he's out of the will of God, going the opposite direction, but God has an incredible power to course correct. The only people, I'll say it this way. You say, Pastor Josh, what if I rebel against God? The most miserable people in the world are those who are running away from God. And the moment God grabs them and course corrects them, they're back on God's path. Suddenly, they feel that presence of God once again, and they begin to realize, I'm actually now walking with the Lord. So there's some people that will purposefully rebel against God, and God will course correct them. There's others who might say, well, what if I accidentally, what if I accidentally make the wrong decision, and I go off the wrong path, and I do the wrong thing? Here's what I've thought, I've realized. Even if you accidentally made the wrong decision and got off track, God has the power to get you back on track. I'll I'll give an example. I believe fully that Heather was the one I was supposed to marry. I believe God's plan for my life was... How many of you know Heather? How many many of you agree I I did pretty good there, right? Yeah, I'm pretty pretty good. Um, I believe God had her specifically for me. Now... Right before, I met her in Florida, and I'm from Las Vegas. Right before I went to college, my father came to me and he said, hey, Josh, there's another school in the Midwest, and I want you to consider going to that college instead of the one in Florida. Now, what if, oh my word, what, what if I chose to go to that college and not the one in Florida? I would have missed out on God's perfect will for my life. And the answer is not, wouldn't it? 
because I believe that God doesn't control every aspect in some sovereign, like you said, um, hyperactive way. I believe he could have allowed me to go off track a little, but God's so powerful and so sovereign that if he wanted me to get with Heather, he would have figured out a way to make that happen. We would have had a layover somewhere. I would have been filling up gas in the middle of Kentucky somewhere. At some point, God would have brought us together. Here's why, because I believe that was one of the specific moments, things, specific wills that God had for my plan in my life. And God has the power to, and the way way I would say it is God has the power to course correct. I would say God's plan is uh, inevitable would be a a way to say that. Um, So, yeah. Oh. um, No, that was great. Thank you. Okay. All right. Hello. Hi, Pastor Josh. Hi, Matt. Thank you. Hello. Okay. How are you? I'm good. Good. Um, this is more... Are specific. you are, are you doing well tonight? I'm doing well. Good. Oh, the I'm lights are going down. I'm cheering for Heather. Oh, you did a great job. Oh, yeah. Well, we're doing a great job, Matt. <laughs> okay. How do you feel? I feel good now. Should I, should I stop talking? It's, I'm making her feel awkward, I think. All right, go ahead. So awkward. Okay. Stop giggling. Quick question. Um, you mentioned something about vocational part, which is the work life, right? Um, my question has always been, with all the pressure that we're put in, especially for young people, to have a specific status quo career type of thing, um, how do you, how would you position it if you have to explain it to someone younger who is trying to find their path as far as what they want to do with their work, what kind of purpose, and what kind of good things they're going to do to the world, right? Um, contribute, their contribution. How would you explain it? Because there could be someone that cleans toilet every day, and there is someone that's going to be a doctor. Um, It's very, very hard to be enthusiastic about God's plan for your life when you're cleaning toilet every day Uh, versus somebody that, wow, I uh, cure people. I help people get better. How do you explain that to young people? That's a great question. In fact, I was prepared for that one because I I knew that would come up. That's something I wish I could have addressed in the time, um, but I I figured it'd come up. So how do you choose a career? And this is going to be, I'm not going to pull out Bible verses for this, um, but I think these are, I think these are biblical principles based on it as well. Um, And this is some secular people would give you some of the same advice, uh, but I'll put a contingent on that. So um, I have four things. Number one, uh, do what you love doing. Um, Now, that being said, not everything when it comes to getting a job, there's there's, there's different priorities here, right? Priority number one is making a living for yourself, okay? So if you have to clean toilets for some time, you have to clean toilets for some time, okay? We, just about everyone, um, unless you were born into money, has to um, kind of start at least somewhere. Like I was. <laughs> I'm extremely wealthy. Um, and, and, so the, <laughs> and so there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with cleaning toilets for a minute. Um, or, and let me say this, there's nothing wrong with cleaning toilets for the rest of your life. If... Um, if you believe you are seeking God and doing, following the guidelines of scriptures and, that, um, and, and doing all these other things that I would say that I have in another list of how do I know God's calling for my life, if somebody asked that question. Um, but choosing career specifically, I would say look for what you love doing. Why? Because Psalm 37, 4 is the, the, through the desires. Yeah, I was just going to ask you why. Yeah. Why, why do what you love to do? What, why specifically? And, and the answer to that question is it, what the verse that you gave and the scripture. See, we believe... 
that there's a reason why you love things that you love. And there's a reason why I love things that I love. And there's a reason why you love things that you love. And it's because God in his infinite wisdom has created you specifically and put inside of you desires and passions and gifts and skill sets that when you express those to society, God is glorified and you get paid. So the comedian who gets up on, on Monday nights and he makes people laugh, this is not all terrible, wicked godlessness. No, this comedian was created by God to give laughter to the world. He's doing what he loves, and he's getting paid for what he does. Now, like any career that you're doing what you love and you can get paid, you can do it and honor and glorify God, or you can do it to honor and glorify yourself. And that's true for my job. You can do my job, be a pastor, and you can do it to honor and glorify God, or you can do it to honor and glorify yourself. And so regardless what it is, and I hate this, you, we've talked about this, I hate the secular and sacred divide when it comes to calling. The idea that God has only called some of us to sacred ministry, like Matt to run a young adults ministry, or Pastor Josh to preach the word of God when we love God, and you people are laity, right? And you're, you're, you're worms. Sad worms. Somebody give me a collar. I'll put it on backwards. Okay. The idea is... <laughs> what, what? It's a Catholic joke. All right. She's like, what? It's a cat. You know how the Catholic did the collar backward? You know what I'm talking about? You now? You know, it's not a good joke if you have to explain it, Josh. It's a terrible joke. Didn't it you didn't get it in? Okay. Anyway. The point is, the point is, there is no secular or sacred callings. There's no secular or sacred dreams. There's no secular or sacred gifts. Everything you are gifted in um, and God made you to do, he did it so you bring glory to God and you bring benefit to mankind and hopefully you get paid for it. And that, that really should be the way it is. And like Matt was saying beautifully, if you have to clean toilets for a while to get to that, then clean toilets for a while to get to that. Yeah, and do it with all your, as, as it says in uh, Ecclesiastes, whatever you do, do with all your might. So clean toilets, glorify God, do it uh, when you do it. And so I love what John Piper says. He says, um, uh, where'd it go? He, he says, uh, as far as the desires, because not every desire we have is good. So how could we know how to follow our desires? I love how he, he says this. He says, ask yourself, what are, are my recurring so not just a one-time thing that I felt, oh, man, what are my recurring, strong, holy desires? So what is God, what do I enjoy doing when I am at my best with God, when I am my closest to God? And I, I love that from John Piper. So, um, so do what you love doing. Uh, how, do I, how do I choose a career? Uh, do what you're good at. <laughs> and I think it's so important to recognize how God has gifted you. Now, I believe very strongly that we can um, sharpen our skills. We don't just have to look at, well, this is who God created me to be, and this is what I am, so um, I'm a clean toilet. No, we, 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 can, we should sharpen our skills and develop ourselves and work hard at it for the rest of our lives. I firmly, firmly believe that. Um, but at the same time, God has gifted you in a unique way, like we've said. So do what you love doing. Do what you're what you're good at, so start to recognize those things now. Um, and I would say the, the next two, a lot of times from the secular viewpoint, they would add the third one being do what pays really well. I think that is good because money is not 
a bad thing, we can do a lot of good with money. The, 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 um, so, so that is a, an aspect, but I would say these two things. Know what your mission is, which is what we just talked about, what God created us for, and then know what your mission field is. So what are the true needs around you? What are the true needs of this world right now? I think, I think we should study that, recognize that. How can I truly make a difference uh, in this world? And it could look totally different for each person. Um, but I think that those are good questions to ask. By the way, this is what makes slavery such, and I don't want to get way off topic, but slavery such a tragic anti-Christian belief. Um, why is it such a terrible anti-Christian belief? Uh, and practice, it's because it steals away the dream and ability and giftedness from an individual soul created by God to glorify God and to advance humanity by enslaving a soul to only do one thing, and that's the rest of their life without freedom. So um, this is why the abolitionist movement was began and run and led by Christians in the United States and in Great Britain. Uh, but I will also, without getting out too far, far off track, those who called themselves Christians, many of them tried to fight against the anti-slavery movement, and God forgive us for allowing Christians to have that point of view. All right, next. I would say we got a lot of hands up, um, but I want to throw out something for you to add to that, if that's okay, real quick. But um, I struggled with where I should be for work for a long time, and then God gave me a verse out of Colossians where it says, whatever you do in word or deed, do is unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that the reward of your inheritance will come from the Lord Christ, not from men. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are at, you're doing it to bring glory to God and not yourself or man. Preach. The end for which God created the world. Hey, I'm one of your other pastors back here, <laughs> sitting in the back, back with my newborn. Um, the end for which God created the world is a great resource um, for discovering and finding your purpose. Jonathan Edwards, phenomenal, um, wonderful book, often referenced by me and Pastor Chris whenever we talk on Sunday nights or whenever we do counseling. But it is wonderful. Definitely, definitely check it out. Um, Matt, you did an awesome job, man, at dividing uh, man's will and God's will and God's overall purpose versus man's will uh, or, you know, God's will for your life. Um, Pastor Josh, you've preached a message uh, based on just the sun rises on the just and the unjust, the working hard and getting rewarded for that work. Can you kind of talk about um, the purpose, like, you know, as we sit here and a lot of us are young adults or young professionals in our field and we're currently working our way up or climbing that ladder. Can you kind of talk about uh, how we do that to glorify God? I thought Jordan kind of touched on it already by saying we're doing this work for God, but, um, you know, it's not a bad thing that we're in the life point we're in. Does that make sense? Yeah. To expect everything that you have to expect everything that somebody who has been working for 25 years beyond you to have everything, you already know this, right? You already know that you can't have everything that you're going to have 20 years, 25 years from now, you can't have it now. We get it. We get it. Okay. Then, then what is the goal? The goal is to work forward. The goal is to, for the Lord, be ambitious. Um, why? Because you understand you're not advancing. Once you get to the point where you understand you serve God and you're advancing his glory and you're helping mankind you realize your ambition is not selfishly motivated. It is motivated by bringing glory to God 
and by, by bringing blessing to others. So I will often speak to those who work downtown in the industry, and I'll say, look, man, get a, get a promotion. Like, come on. Like, move forward. You can do it. Why? Because we need Christians at the high corporate level in downtown Las Vegas. If you're in the military, you need to move forward. You need to advance. You need to move forward. Why? Because we need Christians in the high military escalons of society. We need Christians standing there with Christian principles and a walk with God and advancing the cause of Christ. If you're in business, you need to advance that business as far as you possibly can. I've heard people say, I know I need to succeed in business so I can tithe more. Yes. Wait for the laugh. Yes, no, we ought to, but that's not the only reason. That's really just a small aspect of it. In fact, minor. The real reason you need to advance is because we need Christians in the top uh, strata of society in the business realm and in the academic community and in the political community and in every other aspect because when you understand I'm not doing this for me, I'm doing this for God's glory and to advance society. By the way, when you get there, that's what will keep you from going corrupt because you realize, I'm not here for me. I'm not here for the political party. I'm not here to steal from those people. I'm not here to get another $100 million. I am here for God's glory, and this is the Christian ethic that ought remain for, with us once we actually do succeed. So very good. Thank you for bringing that up. Did that answer your question? Fantastic. Hello. Hey. A couple questions. Uh, from a practicality standpoint, what would be a strong indicator that one would not be in the will of God? Uh, a strong indicator that one is not in the will of God. First and foremost, that you're violating Scripture. So if you're violating Scripture, which is the essence of Matt's entire talk, the essence of his talk tonight was this is the will of God. And if you're violating this, but you say, boy, but I, you know, but, but I know what the Bible says, but stop, you're done, you're out of the will of God. Now, if you confess your sin, you have faithful rights to get right with God, you'll be fine, and you'll course correct. God will course correct you. But number one, you're out of the will of God if you're not following the word of God. Um, do you want to follow up with that? I think beyond that. Well, that's what that, I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really the word of God. That's what goes to that point where we said, um, be thoroughly right with God and then do what you want. Yeah, I would, I would add to that. You have, to, you have to answer, well, what does it mean to be in the will of God? Are we saying, is it a state of, is it a position, is it a state of mind? Is it where I'm living? <laughs> Am I not in the will of God in this seat? Like, we have to, a lot of times it's, it's very vague what we mean by, and, and, and I think, and for me personally, I remember, um, I remember struggling with this my senior year of high school as I was a lot. I remember driving to college for my freshman year, on the, um, driving to California, thinking about this, thinking, how do I know um, what I'm doing is the will of God? I wasn't having these big, strong doubts, but I just didn't understand how that works it, it, because it seems so that ethereal. It, it was, it, that, that's why I address it's not a mystery. Um, it, it's not something we have to guess at. It's knowable. Yeah, I, one of the ways that has helped me in understanding this is, is realizing that God is not trying to trick you. So okay, good. think about it. Right now, currently, there's like 7 billion people in this world. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of people. And of 7 billion people, how many honestly do you think are on their knees before God saying, I want to know your will? So if, if that number, whatever that number is, I don't know, maybe it's one out of 100, maybe it's one out of 1,000, I don't know. 
But if you're one of those, and God is all-knowing and is all-powerful, and you're on your knees and you're saying, oh, God, I want to know your will, do you think he's going to try to trick you? Now, he also knows your limitations. He also knows you're not too bright. You make mistakes. You have a sin nature. You're, you have a bent towards sin. You're still fleshly, even though you've been saved. And so he knows you're going to make mistakes. But just like I love my children, if they really want to do my will and I see that they want to do my will, I'm going to do whatever I can to show them that next step as, as, as dull as they might be. And I think that's a, that aspect has helped me tremendously. He will lead you. And that's what Proverbs chapter 3, my friend, you brought up. Proverbs chapter 3, it's uh, verses 5, uh, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your understanding. All your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. Yeah, I was going to mention Proverbs 1 um, talks about wisdom. And it says wisdom it doesn't whisper. It's not some, something we have to... People talk about, a lot about the still, small voice of God. Like, like it's something we have to go and... And yes, we do have to seek God. Because why? Because God wants us to seek him. That's when we're in proper relationship with him is when we're seeking him. But it says of wisdom, it says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. Um, it, it goes on. And then we see in James uh, 1, it says, um, If anyone asks of God... Um, he says he'll give wisdom to all men uh, liberally, freely. Um, it isn't something that, yeah, God's not trying to trick us. I love how you said that. Let me just state before we move on, because I know we have another question, and that's this truth. Look, people think to themselves, I must not be in the will of God because back then I made a mistake. Oh, man, look at the big mistake I made. Oh, my goodness, I'm off course. And I heard a preacher one time say, if you go off course by one degree down 100 years, you're going to be a million miles away from God's will. Oh, my goodness, I can't go back. I don't have a DeLorean. What am I going to do? All right, DeLorean, it's, it's a Catholic joke. It's a, no, I'm just All right, look, at, here, here's the truth about mistakes. Mistakes are universal, but they're not eternal. Mistakes are, so we've all made mistakes, Therefore, if your mistake has gotten you off the plan from, for, of God and the will of God, then we've all, we're all off the plan of God. We're all off the will of God. This is why I believe in God's power to course correct. He has the ability to say, okay, you made that mistake, um, but, uh, but you're back on track. Mistakes are universal, but not eternal. Guilt is a tool of the enemy. You can't go back, but you can move forward. And so now that God has you back where he wants you to be, then move forward with him. I think that's, that's important to remember. Yeah, uh, there was somebody over here? Yes. So you may have generally answered this question. This is more specific. Um, I've heard the word confirmation a lot growing up in the church. And I, I'm just curious, like, what would you consider a specific example of confirmation? Do you think that that, because I've heard people tell me, you know, I worked in ministry for a while, and they said, well, it was confirmed that you should come and work in this ministry. And so I'm just wondering if you have any specific examples where you felt like there was confirmation from the Lord on something you were going to do specifically in your life. Is there a Catholic joke here for this one? Confirmation. <laughs> yeah, back to the DeLorean. What was that? I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, back to the future. That's Com that's confirmation. So is there, do we confirmation, need confirmation? The Catholic, I understand because Catholic and confirmation and, and uh, yeah, and I was Marty. just going to let it go, but. So do we, do we, are you asking, do we need, conf sorry, I was thinking about my joke when you were talking and then I just, I, I didn't no, get No, I can answer the joke. I can answer the joke. I can answer the question. Uh, <laughs> confirmation. Uh, yeah, okay, so what do we mean by that? 
if, if you're new to Christianity, it means this. Somebody's going to be like, oh, man, I wasn't sure, but then God, God really gave me a confirmation that what I was doing was the right thing. Confirmation comes in several ways. Number one, it can come through Scripture. Um, for example, somebody might be, a newer Christian might say to themselves, I really wasn't sure what I should do in this relationship, but I heard the pastor preach that I should not be in a relationship with somebody who's not, who's not a Christian. And the word of God was confirmation that I needed to break up. All right, so where the word of, what, what we often say here is where the word of God is silent, the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Scripture is silent, the Holy Spirit can bring specificity for you. So I believe that you can hear from the Holy Spirit where the Holy Scriptures might be silent. I'm not sure if we have difference on this, but I believe the Holy Spirit can speak and give confirmation. So uh, if you're walking in the Spirit and you're reading the Word of God, the Bible, God's not going to come to you and say, yes, Mary William, Mary Billy, right? He's not going to do that. But you can spend time in prayer. You can walk with God. And the Holy Spirit can bring you a peace that passes all understanding that you can sense and interpret as a confirmation from God. Okay, I feel this is true. I feel like this. Other confirmations can come not only through the Holy Spirit and prayer. Other confirmations can come with those around you that you trust and love. Um, when we were younger, you're, you're 18 to 28. When you were younger, a lot of that would come through your parents, confirmation through your parents. Now that some of you still might have that relationship with your parents, some of you, that, those relationships have morphed into your friends, those who are walking with God, those who you really trust, those who have your best interests at heart. You can receive confirmation from those who are walking with God as well on those things. And so confirmation can come in many of those ways. I do believe that. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so um, this is an area where I would say it, state it differently for sure. Um, so That's a nice way of saying we disagree. <laughs> so, um, By the way, one of the things, uh, we actually talked about this prior. One of the things that's so important, Matt, uh, um, Chris and I do this on Sunday nights when we do discussions. One of the things that's so important for us, for Chris and I, when we do a Bible discussion to express to our church people is that Christians can disagree on things and how we say stuff and how we even express the scripture or even see scripture, just like we are tonight. And so part of us is not just teaching you these things, it's also showing you how Christians can say things differently, which means disagree and still move forward. But go ahead, yeah. disagree with me. <laughs> Um, so, so confirmation, this is, um, so, so the Bible says, John, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit says, when, when I leave, um, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send him to you. The comforter is John 14, John 16, he speaks of this. Um, and he says, he will guide you into all truth. And, um, I think that is, and this is my opinion, uh, a lot of other preachers definitely disagree on me with this. I think that's one of the most uh, versus most taken out of context in all of scripture. Um, here's why. I believe he is um, referring mostly to the book, of, to what happens in the book of Acts. He will guide you in all truth. So when you look at the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts and Acts 2 at Pentecost and you go through the rest of the book, you see all these, and this gets in a whole other conversation about spiritual gifts and sign gifts. Um, I believe that's what he's referring to now is it and again this is a whole nother topic about sign gifts is god still doing these miracles like what happened in the book of Acts? he's speaking in tongues all this prophecies is that still happening um a whole nother topic um but it does play into this um in that i think that's what he's referring to and a lot of christians use that verse and say um for that reason they say well i prayed about it <clears throat> i have a peace about it and so i think this is god's will here's when it comes to confirmation um Here's my thoughts. Um, 
I do believe God does give a peace. He speaks of that um, in, in the context of prayer. But when it comes to making certain decisions and looking back, is that God's will? Was that not in his will? I wouldn't say, again, where scripture is silent, I think we can't really say for sure. So in a very real situation, um, I was thinking of this when you were talking about you and, you and Heather. And so very realistically, and this is my opinion on it, I don't think that anyone can know. Now, now once you get married, you're, you're, you're not being a good husband or wife if you're not, not like, baby, it was God's will, 100%, right? That's the, that's the romantic thing. What's being thing. stated is <laughs> Heather was my soulmate, but Matt does not see Madison as his soulmate oh, from God. I, I think that's what's being stated. I'm not. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, um, so here, here's what I'm saying. I totally, people, I totally uh, messed you up, you did, dude. You did. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I'm sleeping on the couch tonight. That's cool. Um, so can, people, here's what happened. People get married since we're using that example. People get married and they say, well, obviously it was God's will and all that stuff wasn't. I'm being very real. How do you know that that was God's will? Now, it's God's will for you now to stay married to them. But how do you know? We just we, we assume we're putting God's words in our mouth. Um, we can't. He's making really a very know. valid point here, and and that idea that you can state at one point, oh, I know this is God's will. Look at what God confirmed in my heart, and then suddenly you break up. Well, now we're now I definitely know God never wanted us together, and Christians can come across extremely unreliable and very very wishy washy. Because every single thing is God's will, and then the next week it's not God's will, and then the next week it is God's will. And, and here's what happens. And this is what he's trying to help us avoid. And here's what happens is we start to base our decisions on superstition, really, and our gut feelings, apart from this. I had someone tell me yesterday, um, and very genuinely and very um, – he was he – was, um, there was real heartache and pain going on here. He, he said, he said, man, I've been looking for a job. I've been trying really hard to get a job. And I've been applying and applying and applying. And almost with tears in his eyes, he said, it's just not happening. Maybe it's not God's will for me to get a job. And, and we look at, and we, when we start basing our decisions off of God's word, away from God's word, and based on just what we, um, really it's superstition, I think. It's not biblical concept. I, I think it can be. I do think that if you do have the feeling like I do or the belief that the Spirit of God can speak, understand that the Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. So let me say that again. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the Holy Scriptures. So um, if somebody said to me, for example, I just have prayed about it and the Holy Spirit has led me to this truth that I should not work, then I would say that's fine. You have that choice and maybe the Holy Spirit's led you there, but the Holy Scripture says neither should you eat. So the man that doesn't work should not eat. Therefore, uh, you need to follow the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scripture and go hungry. So um, the Holy Spirit cannot and will not lead you to where the Holy Scripture has, uh, has already led you away. And, uh, and, you know, to validate your point, Matt, I, I had someone one time say to me, I know for sure it was God's will for me to, di to divorce that man. And I said, no, it wasn't. God's will was not for you to divorce that man because you felt like it. How do you know that, Pastor? Because the Scripture teaches us that God hates divorce, and so God would not lead you to go against the Holy Scripture. And so I think it's primary, the way I would say it, is it's primary an in, in interpretation and understanding of the Holy Scripture. And then where the Holy Scripture is silent, then the Holy Scripture will bring specificity, but will not contradict the Holy Scripture. Thoughts? Any, any, any further?
Hi, Pastor Josh. How are you? <laughs> so, um, at my old church, I had the wonderful pleasure of meeting a woman. Um, that sounds very not where I want to head. She, um, she had a powerful testimony, and in that testimony happened to be sexual assault. And I bring this up because you brought up course correction and um, the will of God and everything like that. Now, yes, man can go out of the will of God, and yes, God was also having that in her testimony, but how does God course correct that? Because women, yeah. a lot of times, I can see it, and I have seen it, they will go off on a tangent that is not in God's will at all, and they will keep on putting that in their mind that this happened to me, this was a bad situation, but yeah, how, does, I, how does God... Yeah, I, I think I know where you're going with that. The question is really, why do bad things happen to good people? If God's will is involved and God is a good God, why would God allow these things to happen? I open up by... I, by saying this, many of you know my story because some, many of you are members of our church. Many of you are not. Um, I understand what it is to be sexually assaulted. Whenever I was a child, I was abused sexually. I don't say that in a cavalier way or to get it out of the way. I say that in such a way so that you understand when I speak of sexual assault, I don't just speak as one who has compassion upon what others have been through, but someone who understands not only that pain, but the guilt associated with it, the difficulty of what that brings into a life. Now, with that being stated, how could somebody like me believe in, number one, an all-powerful God who has a good will and an all-powerful God who is good and loving? And the answer is threefold. First, sometimes man willfully disobeys God and harms another human. That's part of God allowing man to have a free will. Again, sometimes man willfully disobeys God and God allows them to harm another human being. Number two, sometimes Satan is permitted to hinder or harm human beings. But lastly, of those three, at all times, God is always up to something big. What do I mean by that? Because God allows men to have free will and sometimes they harm one another, and because we have an enemy who is after us and attempts to hurt us, we need to understand that God is so sovereign and God is so powerful and God is so merciful and big that he can work all of those things together for good. This is, this is I know, almost a trite Bible verse at this point, but it is incredibly important. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So I don't look back and celebrate the difficulties that others have been through or that I have been through. But what I do see is that God has given man free will and sometimes man is stupid and they hurt each other. And I also see that God has used those terrible things to help create the person that I've become that is a good person that helps others by the will of God. And so I believe, uh, I believe this is why God allows these bad things at times to, to happen. Good question. Very good question. Yeah, another question over here. 
Um, Pastor Matt and Pastor Josh, I heard it once said that God's will is for us to love him passionately and love others. And then in that, each day he will bring into our life opportunities or situations or growth to propel us to the next day. Um, is that a biblical way to phrase something, love God, love others, and that you will be currently in that moment in his will? Yeah, I think, uh, so where that comes from is what we call would call the great commandment. It comes from scripture. It comes from Jesus' words himself. He, when Jesus was here on earth, he summed up the entire Old Testament uh, law that God gave through Moses to Israel. And he said, I'm going to sum it up here, um, paraphrasing, obviously. He said, I'm going to sum it up into um, statements. It's, and in so many words, it's love, other, love God and love others. When you look at the Ten Commandments and you break them down, you can break them down into those two sections. Um, and so, so is that God's will? Well, yeah. How do, how do you know? What is God's will? All it means is what God wants. Will is a want. So what does God want? He, he tells us. So just like scripture reveals what he wants, and when we do get that from scripture, um, everything God has revealed, he's revealed himself to us in many ways. Um, one of those huge ways is Jesus, Jesus himself, God himself coming down. Um, his words, he's, he's spoken to us. Man, that's, that's a pretty powerful way to know what God wants. And so, yeah, I think that's a great way to, to state. How do you know you're in will? Well, that's a, in his will. It's a good way to try to follow it. I agree with you. That's all I have to say on the matter. Yes. Um, so my question is, when it comes to as you're trying to follow just your path in life, God's will for you, when it comes to the situation of what God may have for you contradicts what your parents want you to do, like, you know, like going to college, like, you know, you don't want to go to college, but then you're going to college because it's going to make your parents happy. In that situation is like, you know, the Bible talks about obeying your mother and father so that you can have a long life, but not following going to college, like they said, would kind of conflict with that. What is like, is there like a pass in that situation? Or? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You you land you land on community chess, and you get one free get out of obeying mom and dad. the the way The way it, you're asking a question about parental authority, but it's a broader question about authority as a whole. I'll give you another analogy. You gave it about parents, and I'll give it about driving down Blue Diamond Road at 75 miles an hour, because I feel the Holy Spirit wants me to. I feel God wants me to go 75 miles an hour down Blue Diamond Road. And often I follow the Holy Spirit's lead by going and, and cutting many of you off. I've cut some of you off in traffic because I feel it's, a, it's God's will. Here's the problem. The authority of, of Scripture tells me in Romans chapter 13 that I have to obey governmental authority. That, that if I live in the United States government, I live in Nevada, and I have to obey Metro. That's what it says. That's the Christian ethic. That's the Christian law. So if I'm riding down Blue Diamond Road, I have to go, 50, is it 55? See, I don't even know because I really speed. I'm going to go 55 miles an hour. Why am I going to go 55 miles? I'm going to, in theory, let me say that very, in theory, I would go 55 miles an hour because it's my authority. So how does that relate to parental authority? I, I have to give the broad answer, and then I'll, I'm really interested in what Matt had to say. I, I have to give the broad answer and say it is the Christian responsibility to obey their authority. It is now your responsibility to identify who is your authority. 
So who is your authority? I'm, I'm a 38-year-old man who's married with three children. I have a living father and mother. Are they still my authority, my parental authority? Well, we have to figure those things out. I would say no. I believe that the scripture has given me an out on that at this point. That's my way out. You say, well, when is that out? Well, the Bible doesn't ever really specify for every culture. For the Jewish culture, it was, uh, it was at, the age of, at the age of 20 years old. In some passages in the Old Testament, the modern Jewish community, they would say at the age of 13 years old, but they still live under the roof. So basically until you can pay, start paying your bills. So really culturally, uh, a family will decide when you are out from underneath that authority. But just because you're not out, just because you're outside of the authority of your mother and father doesn't mean you're outside of the authority of, of everybody everywhere. Does this make sense? Um, one way I would help people understand this typically is if you have a question about whether or not your parents still have authority over you, ask yourself if you're paying your own bills. If you're not paying your own bills, then they have authority. You say, who says that? Not the Bible, common sense. If you want to do your own thing, then pay your own bills. And then at that point, I think it's still wise to get counsel from those who love you best. But counsel is different than authoritative obedience. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I love, I love how you worded that, and I would agree uh, with that answer. And I would, I would add, um, and I've, I've had this situation, I've counseled people in this situation, and um, what I tell people, be full, is it, because Josh said there's, there's freedom in there in that the Bible isn't specific, right? So well, when, what makes you an adult? What makes you not a child to have to obey your parents anymore? Um, I would say study it out, study it in scriptures, um, and come up with an opinion of your own and be convinced of that and don't go against, um, don't go against your, your conscience. Uh, that's why I would say, I, because I've been with people in this situation and they're not sure. And so they just, and so they feel bad about it. So, um, figure out where you're at on that with scripture and then go. And there. because the Bible is not specific, some would say it is some, because it's not specific. There are, I've met Christians who are in their thirties and forties who always, um, revere and honor to the point of obedience their parents even to that point. That's the conviction they've come to because the scripture is not clear. Um, uh, some would be much younger than that. Some would, would say it's at marriage, other things like that. So I think that's a great answer. Study the scripture and then be true to what you believe the Bible say, says there. It doesn't mean you're not under the authority. The number one authority you're under is God, the Holy Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and then you've got all sorts of other authorities that the Bible teaches you're, you're under. Good question. Someone else? I, I think we'll have time for maybe a, one or two more. Okay. Good one. Hey, Cam. Um, what's up? What's up, guys? Um, so the question was asked, why do bad things happen to good people, right? And so obviously now we know the answer. It's because of sin and, and other things that you mentioned as well. Um, my question, I guess, more so is not so much as uh, what's you know, God's purpose for my life, but really... Um, What's God's purpose for humanity? So if it's because of sin, is sin part of God's will for humanity? And if so, obviously with sin comes suffering and everything else. How can you say God's a loving God if that's part of his purpose? It's a fantastic question. I'm actually writing on this right now. Um, I'm, I'm very excited about writing this new thing that I'm doing. And uh, I'm talking about the idea of the total story of the redemptive plan of God. That's a very boring way of saying that God has this big story of redemption 
that has been playing out long before you were born and will play out long after you die. It is just you are part of that story. And in that story, he has allowed the drama of evil to arrive. arise. Why? For his purposes. Why? Because he chose to. Why? Because he has a plan to work all things together for good. Now, with that being stated, how could we say that he is good and allowing that evil to arise? The reason we can say that is because his essence is to be good and holy. And part of being good and holy is giving the opportunity for his creation to choose. So because he has given us opportunity to choose between good and evil, he has allowed that story to play out in that way. It's just a few thoughts. Matt, how would you like to jump in on that? I agree. I think um, there's other answers that could be stated, but I think that freedom that he's given to us is so um, key. Yeah, that, I could say more, but I think you hit it. Kind of. I, 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 I do have more that I'd say, but I'm, I'm literally writing about this, so it's all in my mind. And when it's finished, I will give it to you. Months from now. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So in John, Jesus talks about following him and walking in the light. And I'm pretty sure that's following God's will, right? So as a sinful person who's come out of it and become a Christian, been saved from all of that, how do we be certain that we continue to walk in God's will. When sometimes you get so focused on what's going on around you, how do you make sure you don't go past that point and go outside of God's will? Ooh, I'd love to answer that. I love that verse, 1 John 1. Um, it talks about walking in the light. Um, the whole first chapter of 1 John has the idea of, um, and here's what walking in the light means. I, I used to misunderstand this verse, and this is why I love this verse now. I used to think walking in the light had this, like, idea of some glow, like, from God on you, and his blessings just flowing, and and um, life was just perfect. But that's, when you look at the passage, that's not what it says. Walking in the light in that passage uh, means, I, I, I like the word picture of, um, it's like as if you're shining a flashlight on your heart and just letting God see all of it. If you stay the passage, just talking about confessing your sin to God, living a life where you're saying, God, I'm not hiding anything from you. Here I am. And, um, and so that, that's what walking in the light is. So how do I know if, if I'm in God's will? I think it's so key, and we haven't really touched on this tonight, and so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, because we sin, and we are messed up. As long as, even though if we're saved, as long as we're here on this earth, um, we being in our flesh, being having the world against us, having the, the devil against us, um, we're in a fight, we're in a battle. So how do I, man, it's just so hard. How do I walk in his will? You're going to stumble. You're going to keep messing up. All of us are. So we keep repenting and we keep putting our faith in him. When we do, we don't hide it from God. How do I know you're, I'm in God's will when I sin? Man, I, I sin so God just he, he's, he's hiding his face from me. No, no, no. You just confess it to him. And don't do it lightly. Um, really open up your heart to him. I think that should be a prayer um, every day. Um, God, shine your light in my heart. Show me even what I'm not seeing right now. Um, walking in the light. Um, that's Another way of knowing for certain that you are in the will of God at the very moment is to ask yourself, as you are sitting across the table... Um, at the Texas de Brazil with your pastor. 
are we ready to leave yet? And the answer is no, because as long as you're at the Texas Day Brazil paying for your pastor's dinner, you are in the will of God. <laughs> that was all I had to say there. Thank you. Thank you. Is, the, is that the end? Is that the final question? I think that is. I think it might be. Yeah, well, look, next, next month, um, the final Monday of the month, I know you're going to say something about this, but I wanted to give a heads up. Next, next month, it, the whole concept that we're going to be discussing is sex trafficking. And it's going to be myself. It's going to be Karen. Right? It's Karen. And uh, Matt and my wife and all four of us are going to be here discussing this incredibly important topic. I really hope that you'll come. It's not one of those topics that you might say, well, directly relates to my life and what I need to know. But it's a topic that Christians should be passionate about because it is something that's taking place not only in this city but around this world at terribly young ages with people who really don't have a choice. Uh, it really is the modern-day slavery. And what we really need to do is address this and be well-informed. And if we're going to be passionate about something, I think it ought to be a, a topic like this. So if you could be here next month, if you could bring somebody next month, that would be great. I just wanted to throw out my plea about that. Uh, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Cam and Chelsea are going to come up with some announcements for us, and let's welcome them onto the stage. Thanks again for checking out this month's Hillside Talk. The Hillside is a young adult community in Las Vegas, Nevada that meets the last Monday of every month. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep up with the upcoming events. We hope to see you at our next gathering.